wanting to get a real shower, not a Gatorade bath, because I'm I want to get focused on Alabama. They got a five, six hour head start. So I'm not I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not interested in celebrating that. We'll look back on that that win and that'll be great, but we're focused on the task ahead. That's that's the objective and that's what our guys you know, they worked their tail off for three to four weeks to get this opportunity. And it was a one game season and now it's another one game season. I'm not focused on Gatorade Bass. Josh, do you support some kind of mandatory cooling off period for injured players before returning to the game? Or is that something you, it's just a reality of the sport in this yeah. era? You know what's crazy is the officials wanted that tonight. I thought that was pretty comical that they came up and said that to me. Anticipation of the mayo bath and then I got hammered in the back of the head by the cooler before they dumped it on me. So I may have a concussion uh, from that. And then on top of that, I got the mayo. and uh, It was awful, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm so glad I got to experience because we won, but it was even more awful than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. I mean, these pants and, and I changed shirts, but it's, 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 I mean, I got mayo in my pockets and, and I'll be getting mayo off of me for months. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And flying solo for this episode, but got a terrific show lined up. We got both of the coaches competing in the national championship, the all-SEC national championship. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, they met with the media here on Monday. So we got the highlights from what they had to say. We got tons of news and notes across the SEC we're going to dive into. And hey, I know everyone's focused on the national championship, but we still got other bowl games, including LSU, Kansas State facing off Monday, no, excuse me, Tuesday night. I don't even know what day of the week it is these days, but uh, New Year, (laughs) same mistakes that we've been making. But hey, let's just dive right into it. And of course, we got to start with uh, Georgia, Alabama, because it, they are playing for the national championship. So much on the line. The only two teams really with uh, something on the line, even though LSU playing Kansas State in the Texas Bowl. And I want to start here with Kirby Smart. We love to start with something fun if we can. And I think this person was uh, you know, trying to say something a little bit different than uh, what they asked Coach Smart, but... Of course, you know, we all know Alabama's that just had demon that Georgia and Kirby and company just cannot slay. We talked about it time and time again. We all thought the SEC championship was going to be the time Georgia finally slayed the Crimson Tide. Are they the bogeyman? You know, Coach Smart, um, I have a question for you kind of about the dynamic that Alabama occupy or like kind of the mental space it occupies in the heads of either your, you, your coaching staff, your players. It seems like it's sort of the Crimson Tide have taken on a sort of bogeyman quality for Georgia in that they are the benchmark um, to which, you know, this program is often compared, but also one that has seemed to always get the best of your team. How do you handle that kind of mental dynamic when you're preparing your athletes to play them, um, you know, for the second time in such a short span? First off, what is the bogeyman? Was it, what did you reference it as? <laughs> I said Alabama is a bogeyman uh, to Georgia football. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that is, so it's hard for me to answer that question other than they've also been a problem and a thorn in every single team they played side <laughs> besides just ours. So uh, we have that in common with a lot of teams that have played them. they got a really good football team, really good coach, and a really good program. It starts with uh, with good football players, and uh, they've done a great job uh, at recruiting those. And, and I think when you look at the, the skill set of, of some of the guys they've had come through there and the I know myself just looking at the last two or three times we played them, I think somebody said either six or seven first-round wideouts uh, have all played. And that that, that skill set is pretty unique. I don't think there's any team in the country that's had however many it's been, the run they've had on those. And and that makes it, you know, you, you got to play well. You, you got you to gotta play well in the red area. You got to play well situational football. You can't turn the ball over. Um, and expect to beat good football teams. And uh, and those are things that that we have done when we played them. We've turned it over, and we can't do that. But as far as the mental capacity and mental mindset of our guys, they're, they're excited. They got another – I earned another opportunity to go play a really good football team, and uh, we've got a really good football team. So our guys are 
physical, uh, excited, and looking forward to, to this opportunity on the biggest stage there is. <laughs> All right, so clearly, I think she was trying to say boogeyman, but, oh, bogeyman, a lot of people had fun with that. What's uh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban? They are golfers, so maybe this is a golf term I'm unfamiliar with, but bogeyman, <laughs> uh, Kirby was not really biting on that. I think he's having some fun here, but, hey, make no mistake, this is the boogeyman for not just, you know, as, like Kirby says, not just for us, right, for damn near everybody. Uh, there's a reason why every time Alabama goes down to a Texas A&M like they did this year, LSU a couple years ago, Auburn throughout the years, even though, you know, far more often than not, Alabama wins the Iron Bowl. When you beat the Crimson Tide, it's a game that is basically immortalized on your campus. Hell, South Carolina, the last SEC East team to beat Alabama, what was that, over 10 years ago? They're still still remembering that. The Ole Miss, the times they've beat them. I mean, it's just so damn rare that it happens. Uh, so there's some validity here to what Kirby Smart's saying. It's not just our boogeyman. It's the country's boogeyman. But here's the opportunity for Georgia to finally slay it once again. They didn't get it done round one. No one will give a damn about that if the Georgia Bulldogs win here on Monday evening in the national championship. And how are they going to get that done? They're going to need a big performance from Brock Bowers. You know, he's looking like Arguably the best player on Georgia's team, which is incredible considering he is a true freshman. Here's the latest on Brock Bowers from Kirby Smart. Hey, Coach. Uh, good morning, afternoon, whatever it is. Now, I don't double-check on uh, on Brock Bowers. I know you touched on him. He kind of dinged his shoulder a little bit a couple weeks ago. See if you had anything, any further word on him. Oh, Brock's good. Hey, he was good in the game. He's he's that that same shoulders bothered him all year. To be honest, it's it's not like it's something new that just came up. I mean, it 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 it, it bothers him from time to time at practice. Um, it happens to a lot of our players. To be honest with you, I had it when I played. So it's something you have to you know just deal with. And in the off season, we'll get to look at it and see if it needs um, to be repaired and and it's surgically or whether or not it's something that he can rehab and. Uh, continue to strengthen the muscles around it, but it's not. He's it, it, a football player. I mean, it's it's not going to go away in the season. So a lot of our guys were dealing with that. All right. So again, Bowers didn't finish out the Michigan game. They didn't need him. I mean, <laughs> if the if the game was on the line, he would have been playing. But uh, you know, great sign here for the Bulldogs. Nick Saban. We'll get to his comments here in a moment. But uh, he was really talking about Brock Bowers as well. So. I, Hey, if you're getting Nick Saban to talk about you, you're a true freshman, you know you're an elite player. But what's the game going to come down to for Georgia is it's all about, and they did a little bit of, they did a, a lot better job in the second half of the SEC championship than they did in the first half. And it, a lot of that had to do with getting to Bryce Young. Something Shane and I even talked about on the last episode, Cincinnati managed to get after Bryce Young. The Iron Bowl, of course, that was the key issue there. I know Jamison Williams got booted from that game for targeting, but they, the Tigers were all over Bryce Young. LSU the same. That is the key to rattling this young quarterback. Well, I don't even know if he can rattle him, but hell, no quarterback is going to perform as well with a clean pocket as he is getting harassed all night. Georgia has got to find a way to get to Alabama's star quarterback, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, here's Kirby Smart on getting that pressure on Bryce Young. Kirby, um, you guys didn't get much pressure on Bryce Young in, in the first meeting. What can you do to, to change that? And how important of a, a dynamic is that in this game? Yeah, uh, it's really important. I mean, they 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 did a good job. Number one, he did a good job of moving around in the pocket, of uh, creating time. Um, he's really uh, way more elusive than people give him credit for. Uh, extremely good athlete has uh, elite spatial awareness. He knows where people are, where his people are, where he's protected, uh, where he's going with the ball beforehand. And um, it wasn't for a lack of trying. And uh, we, we, we brought a lot of different pressures. They did a good job on um, picking those pressures up. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, there's four or five guys that are one-on-one -on -one up there. Somebody's got to win one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, a lot of times you're better at pressure – when you're not on the field as long and you're, you're winning some third downs, we had some really critical third down losses that, uh, that, Hey, they didn't beat us. We busted. 
And uh, you can't do that, not and beat a good football team. You give them extra snaps every time that happens, and, and you, you can't do that. Now, of course, that's just easier said than done. But, you know, something that was asked of both Kirby Smart and Nick Saban here on Monday, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, this not the first time we're going to see a rematch in a, a championship-type game like this. Of course, uh, uh, the one that comes to all SEC fans, mind LSU-Auburn in the championship several years ago. You know, Alabama and Georgia did meet in the national championship, of course. What was that, 2017? But they did not meet in the SEC championship. That was Georgia and Auburn that met that year in the SEC championship. So it's very unique that uh, two out of three games here we're getting the same teams. I don't know that that's ever been done before. Well, not now that Florida, Florida State a couple of years. That was so long ago, though. Uh, that was in the 90s. But can you really scheme up anything different? I mean, you kind of are who you are at this point. There's not going to be a ton of adjustments. So this game is really going to come down to just executing better. And who was it after the SEC championship game that was, I don't want to say getting thrown under the bus, but the, the guy that was getting called out more than anyone else, Stetson Bennett. And we no, don't normally have player comments on this show because generally – I got to be honest, the players, they don't give you much. And it's I find it kind of boring and not very enlightening. But Stenson Bennett also met with the media here on Monday with so much pressure on his shoulders. If Georgia is going to win the national championship, they are going to need him to have a performance like he had against the Michigan Wolverines, throwing for 300 yards, three touchdowns. He cannot be having multiple turnovers like he did in the SEC championship game got outclassed by Bryce Young. And this is something not only Stetson Bennett, but you know, I thought this was the most insightful comments. We had about two hours of press conferences here between the head coaches and the players. But Stetson Bennett revealed that his some of his teammates really took it personally that Michigan and their offensive line was so touted. The Joe Moore Award, that goes that's the award that's given to the nation's best offensive line. Well Hell, Georgia Bulldogs got pissed off about that. Uh, the, the offensive lineman got pissed off. If you haven't seen the clip by now, Sawyer uh, just making Adrian Hutchinson, the Heisman runner-up. I mean, he looked like a rag doll. The other elite defensive lineman Michigan had didn't re- register a single stat against the Bulldogs. I mean, Georgia's offensive line looked like the Joe Moore Award winners in that matchup. So how is that going to translate with Georgia's defense to Stetson Bennett taking things personally. Uh, let's kick it over to Stetson Bennett. One of the things that we saw against Michigan was an incredible blocking scheme on the edge that really freed guys up. What was practice like in that offensive week leading up that really made that crisp for you guys that opened up the offense? Yeah, I mean, first things first, we can't do anything um, on either side of the ball if we don't win up front. I mean, that's, that's the start of football. It always has been and always will be. Um, and we knew that they had those two guys on the edge and we knew that they were going to be coming from my head and, you know, uh, Jamari and Warren and all the other guys inside, they, they took a challenge. They, they, they kind of, you know, um, felt slighted a bit by the Joe Moore award, um, going to Michigan and they knew what everybody was writing and what everybody was saying that, you know, they would, you know, those two guys would, would ruin the game for us, um, and, you know, they took it as a per- personal challenge and they were focused and locked in the whole week. Um, and they, they played their butts off. So it's just something to keep in mind. I know, and we'll get to this in just a minute with Nick Saban's comments. I know the Georgia Bulldogs currently listed as the favorite in Vegas, but I got to be honest, everywhere I'm seeing, everybody's saying, you know, Nick Saban love that. Bet on Nick. I, I'm not seeing anybody saying, well, I'm taking Georgia in the points. Everybody's taking Alabama in the plus three at this point in time. You know, you talk about rat poison. I think it's going to go the other way. This It's going to be the Georgia Bulldogs that are going to be hearing for a week about how it's a joke that they're favored. I guess the team that just whipped them just a couple weeks ago here on a neutral field in the SEC championship game. How does that inspire confidence and get these guys fired up for a week the week ahead, leading up to the national championship, we'll see. But, hey, they had to hear all the talk about Michigan, and we saw how that played out on the field. Now we'll see how it translates 
against Alabama in round two. But those weren't the only Stetson Bennett comments that uh, were pretty good at. These ones are, are just as good on recruiting and the stars and how much they factor in. Stetson Bennett was asked about that and the five stars and all that. And, of course, he cannot relate to being a five-star, the former walk-on here. Fantastic comments. You know, coaches say all the time that recruiting stars, your recruiting ranking doesn't matter when you show up. But from a player perspective, how, I guess, aware are you of that? And how, if at all, does it, you know, factor into, hey, I should be playing earlier or I should be playing over this guy? Um, well, I can't speak to the five stars in the room. Um, I wasn't one. Um, I mean, yeah, coaches say that, but it's like, Those guys are going to get every opportunity to fail before, you know, a walk-on gets an opportunity to succeed. I put it that way. Um, which is, I mean, it's just business. It's, if you recruit all these five stars and then you play walk-ons over every single one of them, um, who's to say the next five stars not going to see that and not come here? Um, you know, and I mean, usually five stars are better than walk-ons. That's typically how it goes. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I think our team does a good job of our players do a good job of um, not really worrying about five star who this and that when you walk in the door because you know all that stuff's over. It's wiped out. I don't even know. I don't know who our five stars are from this last class. I don't know any recruiting. Um, I know we did well. Um, like we typically do because our staff does a great job, but I, I don't know um, who was ranked where um, because I really don't care. And I'll tell you, every single senior on, on this team feels the same way. Um, so I, I'm sure the coaches are aware and every single media person in the entire universe is aware. Um, but no, the, the players are not aware. Man, that may be the quote of the year right there. You know, walk-ons. You, you may never get a chance if those five stars don't fail. And, you know, he, <laughs> I don't think he, it's fair to say he's calling out JT Daniels or anybody with these comments, but I think he's just speaking the truth where Stetson Bennett never gets a chance unless you know, a Jamie Newman, I know he's not necessarily a, a touted prospect, but if he leaves JT Daniels limited last season, Stetson Bennett, a guy like him, maybe never even gets his sh shot. So, He's making the most of it, and uh, all of a sudden, if Georgia finds a way to win the national championship, hell, they may have a statue of old Stetson here on campus as uh, Georgia's Rudy in the <laughs> in the years and years to come. And and these comments here are going to be immortalized, like uh, old Tim Tebow's down there in Gainesville. They'll, there will be some plaques down there in Athens, if I had to guess. But hey, flipping down to the other side of this, let's not forget who won that football game just a couple weeks ago. Let's not forget who looked, even though they didn't have their A game against Cincinnati, just dominant in another college football playoff semifinal appearance, the Alabama Crimson Tide. You got to believe that those players are going to be confident going into this football game. I know things weren't trending their way in the Iron Bowl, but something clicked late in that game. They got confidence, and ever since that time, they've looked unstoppable. They play that way again here on Monday they are going to win another national championship. I still think that Georgia may have the better overall team, but I don't think there's any question who's got the best star players, key players in this game. Quarterback Bryce Young, Will Anderson, edge defender Jamison Williams, Alabama. Those may be the three best players on the field on Saturday. And we all know having an advantage at the quarterback position gives you an advantage in a football game that just not cannot be replicated. And if we get in a shootout-style game, how can you not like Bryce Young over Stetson Bennett? Stetson's a great story. Bryce Young is an elite, elite prodigy-type talent, and he's already displayed that in just his first season. So if you're Alabama, I think you want a high-scoring game. Now, again, maybe that's easier said than done. John Menchie. No longer there. He's out for the season. Georgia's elite defense. You already took advantage of them once. Can you do that again? How challenging 
will that be two times in three games to abuse Georgia's defense? Not saying it can't be done, but a lot easier said than done. If Bryce Young is going to have a big game, it's going to come down to Doug Marone and his offensive line. How's the latest injury update? That's uh, going to be a big, big question all week in Tuscaloosa. Let's kick it over to Nick Saban, asked to uh, provide the latest update on the injury front there on Alabama's offensive line. Hey, Nick, I know you had um, a couple of injuries on the offensive line. Can you provide an update on those guys and on, on Owens and Ikeor? And also, why was that unit so effective against Georgia in the SEC championship game? Well, I, I think, um, first of all, from an injury standpoint, we really don't have a lot of updates. Uh, we're, we're practicing today for, you know, the first time. So we'll kind of see how these guys progress during the week. Uh, we're hopeful that we'll get, you know, some guys back. Um, but uh, I think if you're going to have any success against any team, especially against a team that has, you know, the number one defense in the country, it probably starts up front. Uh, so uh, for our offensive line to play well and be effective, whether it's a run, whether it's a pass, regardless of what the circumstance is, I think most plays are going to start with how well can we do up front against a outstanding, you know, front seven unit uh, who's proven that all year long. Um, so we're, we're always trying to prepare our players to, you know, play extremely well. Um, and, you know, we need to do it uh, in this game. And if we're going to have any kind of success offensively, it'll start up front in this game as well. All right, and I teased it before, Brock Bowers. I mean, that's a guy that's on Nick Saban's radar. Got to stop us, Brock Bowers. He, you know, while Georgia didn't have a great game in Atlanta in the championship, Brock Bowers, he got his. And I know a lot of that came late, but he looked like the best player on Georgia's offense in that game. Arguably looked like that in the college football playoff game too. So limiting Brock Bowers is going to be paramount to this game. You got to think Pete Golding, Nick Saban, they're going to be staying up late all week trying to scheme around Brock Bowers. Uh, here's what Nick Saban had to say about him, who, my goodness, he's just a freshman. What allowed Brock Bowers to be so impactful on uh, the first time that you guys played? And just what have you seen from him um, in the game since against Michigan? I, I think this guy is one of the premier players in college football. Uh, I know he's just a freshman, but – um, this guy's got great size. He's a good blocker. He's physical. He's tough. Um, and he's got wide receiver skills in every way, shape, or form, which makes it difficult uh, being a bigger guy for uh, bigger guys to cover him. Uh, and it makes it also difficult for smaller guys to cover him. So um, this guy is just a phenomenal football player all the way around. Uh, they do a really good job of featuring his talents as well. And he's been extremely productive in a lot of ways. I know everybody always knows the passes that he catches, but he's also a really good blocker and does a good job in his part of executing whatever he needs to do to, you know, help his teammates have success as well. All right. And then one other thing here from Nick Saban I thought was pretty interesting. We talked a little bit about being underdogs. Will that be played up? You know, behind the scenes, Nick Saban is going to be using that to fuel his Crimson Tide team. But he ain't biting when asked the question. You know someone was going to ask him, what's it like being the underdog in a game matchup you just won just uh, two games ago? Being an underdog to Georgia worked pretty well for you last time. Uh, how Look back on that. How were you able to, to maybe use that to your advantage? And, and how might you use it advantage if you're indeed a slight underdog this time? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, you know, being an underdog is being an underdog. They have a really good team. That's very well respected. We have a tremendous amount of respect for them. Um, and I think, you know, it's important for our players to know, um, what they need to do to be able to continue to have success in the next game, regardless of what happened in the last game and regardless who was favored and who was underdogs and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, you know, everybody has pride in performance. Everybody wants to go play well. And uh, we certainly want to do everything as coaches that we can to help our players go out and play well and compete well in the game. Man, I, I wish we could give uh, Nick Saban some truth serum under this one because that, that was complete coach speak. But I just wanted to throw it out there because 
you know, that's the question that uh, you know was going to be asked to Nick Saban, and that was his kind of half-hearted answer. But one really good response, final thing here from Nick Saban, hot topic here, especially after we're getting another SEC national championship, Georgia blowing out Michigan, Alabama blowing out Cincinnati in the college football playoff semifinal. Hot topic once again, college football playoff expansion. Nick Saban was asked about, do we need it to create more competitive games here in the college football playoff? And I thought he gave a terrific answer. Yeah, Nick, uh, I'm curious about uh, the semifinal games were both blowouts. Uh, do you feel like uh, going to an expansion with 12 teams would maybe help that and create more competitive games, or do you think that would diminish the regular season too much? Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with your assessment of our game. Uh, I can't speak to the other game, but uh, it was a really hard-fought game for us. Um you know, I think so. Um, and we have a tremendous amount of respect for the team that we played. Uh, I don't know that uh, expanding, if this is the best four teams and they played each other, um, I, I don't see the logic. And if we had more teams, there would be better games. I, I, I don't, I don't know how that adds up, but I, I, I don't, I, I'm really not in position to answer that. You know, there's, there's a lot of other good teams that, um, whether it was their consistency and performance or whatever happened to them in championship games or whatever, that may have had the opportunity to get in the playoffs that didn't. Um, and, I, but look, I, I, I'm not the one that needs to be deciding what the playoff needs to be. Um, there's a lot of good people out there that can make a decision as to what's best for college football. Um, but the more we expand the playoffs, the more we minimize bowl games, the importance of bowl games, which, you know, I said when we went to four. So I don't think that's changed. And I think it's also come to fruition. So here it is at the end of the day. I mean, we can expand this playoff to 12, to 16, to 32, to 64. But at the end of the day, you're just giving Alabama and elite teams from the SEC more opportunities to make the college football playoff. And when you got more talent than everybody else, more times than not, you're going to win football games. That's the simple metric of college football. It doesn't work every time. I understand that. If it did, Texas would be uh, much more the doormat at the current time because they recruit like gangbusters. But what I'm saying here is let's say we go to the 12-team format. We're going to get three, four, five maybe even six SEC teams into this thing from year year in and year out, how many times are we going to get two SEC teams in the final? I think we're going to get it more often than not. How many times are we going to get into all four SEC finalists? We're going to get that from time to time. So be careful what you wish for. I don't necessarily think expanding this playoff, while it will likely lead to you know, some terrible Pac-12 or Big 12 team getting into the field here in and here out. Maybe you get a Conference USA in there. Maybe you get Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Dame. They'll find a way to get Notre Dame into the 12 every year. You know they will. But they're just going to get smashed in the first round. And when it comes to the semifinals, when it comes to the finals, it's going to be SEC on SEC action more often than not. And how in the world does expanding the field go make for competitive games when we can't even get two competitive semifinal games? I think Nick Saban hit the nail on the head here. But all right, moving on from uh, the college football playoff matchup, college football playoff national championship we got in the days ahead. We still got news and notes around the SEC, around the country we don't talk a lot of outside the SEC, but this could have ramifications within the SEC. Huge news here on Monday because Oklahoma starting quarterback Caleb Williams has entered the transfer portal, and he released a statement here. says he's still considering Oklahoma. He's not closing the door on playing for the Sooners next season, but with uh, Brent Venables taking over as head coach, of course, Jeff Lebby being the new offensive coordinator, I think Caleb Williams and his family just want to see what's out there, see who's being who's willing uh, to, you know, have him on campus. And 
I got to believe it's going to be damn near everybody short of uh, Alabama, Ohio State, and that may be the list. I mean, if you have an opportunity to get Caleb Williams, who uh, threw for uh, 1,916 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions, 442 rushing yards, six touchdowns. Looked like a revelation there. Of course, he took over for Spencer Rattler, who's now at South Carolina, midway into the season. And for a minute there, he was looking like a Heisman candidate. Now, I think he might be a little overrated. Maybe I'm being a little facetious there when I say everybody's going to be looking at him because we do got some star power returning at the quarterback position. But anybody and and anyone who's an elite program that is unsettled at the quarterback position, you got to believe, is giving Caleb Williams a call. And that includes Ole Miss, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M. There's even speculation that Georgia, even though they got JT Daniels and backed up by two freshman five stars at the moment, they'll be getting into the race now, it's, it's very, very early. Hell, he just announced here he's going in the transfer portal uh, mere hours ago. It's not like he set his destination. And, of course, you got to think that uh, Southern Cal there with Lincoln Riley is going to be a primary target in this thing. If uh, Caleb Williams, who he's from, uh, I believe, the Washington, D.C. area, so it's, it's not like he's from Oklahoma. He's not from the West Coast or anything. But given the success he had played in that system, and the fact that uh, I don't believe USC has got much of a quarterback right now to work with, you know, they're going to be involved. But this is going to be one to watch where I think uh, Caleb Williams, I believe he was top five in the country in passing efficiency this season with four, three to four years, however you want to look at it, left to play, two years to play, I believe, until he reaches the NFL. Uh, this is going to be potentially a Joe Burrow type situation where he could change the fortunes of your college football program if you need the quarterback position and man if I'm Lane Kiffin Brian Harson, Jimbo or Brian Kelly down there with his country accent I'm I'm giving giving Caleb Williams a call see if he's interested hell maybe even Billy Napier I know we all love Anthony Richardson but you know he can't stay healthy and if you can get Caleb Williams you know let him battle it out that's what I've that's what I'd be doing if I was old Billy Napier. I'd, I'd be giving him a call to see uh, if he'd be interested. Well, speaking of Ole Miss, I want to make this uh, note real quick because uh, the Rebels, we've had some news here. It's uh, John Rice Plumley, receiver, former quarterback, one of uh, my favorite players here in the SEC. He's been firmly aboard the lane train, been bought into what's been going on down at Oxford. He has announced he is leaving via the transfer portal you got to believe he's probably going to go somewhere where they're going to give him the option to play quarterback. Although, hell, maybe he likes really playing receiver. But if that were the case, I think he'd be sticking it out here at Ole Miss. So, interesting news there for the Rebels. Looking into next season, one of their most popular players, baseball player as well. And speaking of that, kind of a, a dual threat here who plays baseball and football, Jerrion Ely, off to the NFL early. He has made that decision. So two stars leaving the Ole Miss Rebels. Of course, Matt Corral, we all know it's already been announced. He's leaving for the NFL. Jeff Levy off to Oklahoma. This is going to be a new look Ole Miss offense under Charlie Weiss and Lane Kiffin. And uh, I, we mentioned on the last episode, but the strength coach, Wilson Love, off to Oregon. Now there's speculation that D.J. Durkin, who did such a tremendous job with the defense this year, Texas A&M targeting DJ Durkin. Now, I'm not saying he's moving for sure, but that's the latest, and we'll see what happens there. I mean, we could be looking at a massive, massive season of uh, change there in Oxford under Lane Kiffin following this 10-win team that went to the Sugar Bowl. And uh, sticking in that state, Makai Polk, Mississippi State standout receiver, led the team with 105 catches, 1,046 rushing Receiving yards and nine touchdowns. All those stats led the Bulldogs this year. He's off to the NFL. And, you know, in a sense that hurts you, but this is the Mike Leach system. And this guy came from Cal. He transferred in one year, just made a tremendous, tremendous impact. He was your best receiver. Mississippi State still got plenty of receiver talent there to work with. And I think if nothing else, this is fantastic 
evidence here that Mike Leach and the Bulldogs can turn around and sell in the transfer portal to say, hey, we got this kid from Cal, and look what he how he lit up the scoreboard year one in the SEC. You can do the same. So I'm not sweating this if I'm a Mississippi State fan. If uh, nothing else, I think this is just the latest that uh, Mike Leach can turn just about any player into an elite player at the receiver and the quarterback position. So Makai Polk off to the NFL. But it's not all, you know, I don't want to be Debbie down here, all these players leaving because, man, one team we have not talked about here in recent days since uh, their unfortunate Birmingham Bowl loss. Let's kick it down to the Plains because the Auburn Tigers, my goodness, yeah, everyone's going to be looking at this as Bo Nix off to the NFL. You know, what bad fit there potentially with Brian Harson, even though Bo Nix, I thought, uh, you know, played the best football of his college career. Why didn't he return? That's going to be a topic all offseason. Can Brian Harson get this offense going? But, you know, that's really underselling the fact that so many Auburn Tigers have committed to returning for another season on the Plains. And here are just some of the standout players that are returning, committed to returning next season for the Auburn Tigers. Linebacker Owen Popo, one of the best players in the Auburn locker room there, going to come back to anchor this defense. That's, that's great news for the Auburn Tigers. And one of my favorite, most underrated players who really made an impact in Derek Mason's defense last season Defensive lineman Derek Hall. Now, that's not going to cause a bunch of headlines here across the SEC, but Derek Hall coming back should be a huge, huge boost to Auburn's defense next season. And they ain't done yet. Defensive lineman Kobe Wooden is also coming back. Tight end John Samuel Shanker is going to come back as a super senior. He had had 29 catches, 392 yards last season. Those totals or more than the first three seasons he had combined on the plane. So Brian Harson, we've been begging, pleading, Chad Morris, Gus Malzahn for years and years when they were running the ship down there, said they'd get the tight ends more involved. They never were able to do it in Brian Harson's system. They were able to do that year one, and that's you know getting John Samuel Shanker to come back. He was uh, one of the favorite targets down there on the plains back for another year. That's huge, and... Last but not least, defensive lineman Marquise Burks is also coming back as a super senior. So, And we've had others this offseason at Auburn. So, hey, don't write off the Auburn Tigers. I know I was down on them last year, but when you start to see these players buy into year two for wanting to come back after a disappointing season to try to right some wrongs in 2022, you got to be fired up you're an Auburn Tiger that you got so many key players particularly on defense and your star tight end coming back to help next year's roster and speaking of that South Carolina getting some good news here Zach Pickens could have went off to the NFL he is returning for his senior season the former five-star recruit was second on the team with four sacks that's a big pickup particularly when you uh, look at uh, Enigbari's off to the NFL. You're going to need someone to step up on that uh, defensive line. It's got to be Pickens. And linebacker Brad Johnson, second on the team with 71 tackles. He is coming back as well. So great news here for South Carolina's front seven, getting two key players to return to uh, anchor this uh, Clayton White defense that really surprised a lot of people this season. You got to think in year two, they're just going to get better and better. And and this is just helping that momentum that we said they've got under Shane Beamer there in Columbia heading into year two. Again, players buying in. Love to see all this buy-in from all these year two players. And speaking of buy-in, Florida Gators picked up a nice little transfer here. Because uh, former Louisiana offensive lineman Cameron Watts has not only transferred, but uh, officially signed on with the Florida Gators. So one of Billy Napier's former offensive linemen now in Gainesville, officially a member of the Florida Gators. And hey, when you got former players committing to play for Billy Napier, that gives you a good indication of just how popular of a player's coach he is. And uh, if Florida's taking a Louisiana guy. You know he can play some football, and no one knows that better than Billy Napier. So 
that should be a nice pickup there, potential starter on your offensive line for the Florida Gators. And uh, last little update here before we do a little preview of uh, LSU's Texas Bowl. Texas A&M, something uh, that happened over the weekend, landed another five-star, this time five-star linebacker Harold Perkins, number one linebacker in the country, number five overall prospect in the class. Now, he has committed, but he has not signed. So he participated in uh, the Under Armour All-American game over the weekend. And Texas A&M, if I've got my numbers right here, they had 13 players just in that game. I mean, I'm, and there's another All-American game. I'm not combining the two. I'm just saying one, the Under Armour All-American game. A&M had 13 guys, if you count Perkins in there, as uh, future Aggies in that football game. That is just incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen the numbers quite like that. And following Perkins' commitment, should he sign, and I'm not saying that he won't, but, I, you know, recruiting's never done till they sign. But if he signs, Texas A&M is going to have the highest-rated recruiting class in the history of 24-7 sports. I believe the uh, previous two, Alabama maybe last year or the year prior was one of those years, and Florida in 2010. This A&M class would beat both of those. And that there's one other big fish out there. Five-star defensive lineman Shamar Stewart is also considering Texas A&M among the finalists. So the Aggies may not be done. We're talking the greatest class, recruiting class of all time, and you ain't done? I don't know what else you could be what could be said other than uh, outstanding outstanding job by the Aggies. And I've seen people giving them hell. NIL. Oh, you're paying all these players? Hey, it's legal now. Just like Jimbo said in his uh, National Signing Day breakdown here, these things were out there. Now they're legal. Now he didn't mention any names, but you know he's talking about Alabama. You know he's talking about Georgia. He's probably talking about LSU. These things are out there. You sure as hell bet he was talking about Texas. But these things were out there. Now they're legal. Those schools that had the advantages, they now, they don't. We're all on the even playing field. And, hell, you're not supposed to be using NIL for recruiting purposes, but let's not be naive. That's what it was going to be used for. And if people are willing to pay these players to go to their school, then that means those players are worth whatever they're getting paid. Let them get paid. And uh, maybe... You know, everyone gets mad. We see, oh, it's Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, every damn time in the playoff. Well, here we got people trying to uh, <laughs> break into that crowd and other people getting mad. So, hey, let A&M get in on that, and they're going to be there soon enough if they keep recruiting to the level they are. All right, final thing here, of course, you know, the Texas Bowl, we got a little bit of a preview, but uh, before we get to the preview, just wanted to make this note here in Baton Rouge because Brian Kelly's first LSU coaching staff coming together and he has hired a familiar face here offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock who was Cincinnati's offensive coordinator last season he was a semi-finalist for the Frank Broyles award given to the nation's top assistant coach so hey he comes with a nice reputation and perhaps even more importantly for LSU fans this guy has spent 14 seasons working under Brian Kelly, seven at Notre Dame, seven at Grand Valley State, and he's coming off one of the best seasons he's ever had as an offensive coordinator, helping Cincinnati to an undefeated record. Now he's going to be LSU's offensive coordinator under Brian Kelly. So, you know, beyond what I just told you, I don't know much about this guy. I'm going to have to do a deep dive on him. But if uh, he's worked with Brian Kelly for, you know, a decade and a half here, uh, you got to believe that uh, given Brian Kelly's background with the offensive side of the football, that uh, this will be a quality hire for LSU and someone where, you know, they they speak the same language. It's going to be very easy to translate the offense to these players. So, hey, Brian Kelly ain't messing around. He's coming in here year one. And that's another thing that I was told that he was able to pitch to Miles Brennan when he got him to pull his name out of the transfer portal. Just go back and look at Cincinnati, Notre Dame, 
and, and Grand Valley. Look at what the players did in the first year under me. I mean, these this is not a system where it takes two or three years for these quarterbacks to get adjusted. They get it year one. They have big seasons year one, and this speaks to it is where you're going to have to – you hire an offensive coordinator that uh, there's going to be no adjustment period. He's going to be ready to go from day one. And that was not the only hire that LSU recently made official. They got a quarterback's coach too, Joe Sloan, who had been at uh, Louisiana Tech the last nine seasons as uh, offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach, and recruiting coordinator. That's key there. Because Brian Kelly, obviously, with his uh, fake Southern accent down there, not a lot of ties to the region, although Notre Dame's been recruiting Louisiana the last couple of years. So we can't say he's got no ties. But now he's getting a nine-year veteran of the state at Louisiana Tech. They have been known as an offensive program the last several years. So you're bringing in a guy with offensive coordinator experience to be your quarterback's coach who's got tons and tons of experience in the state. That looks like another solid pickup there for Brian Kelly. All right, so I, as promised, last SEC bowl game before the national championship is the Texas Bowl. And for some damn reason, they're kicking this thing off at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on ESPN, LSU, Kansas State. LSU opened as the favorite. This thing has uh, flipped big time. Kansas State, seven-point favorite, the over-under, 47 and a half points and here's a big reason why Garrett Nussmeyer the will he won't he play he ain't playing the freshman quarterback LSU tried to fight for uh, the ability to let him play and not burn his red shirt that was denied and why that is important obviously Max Johnson off to A&M Miles Brennan has been in the portal he's back but he's not playing in this football game LSU no scholarship quarterbacks for this game. The Garrett Nussmeyer is the only one left. You can't put in uh, Walker Howard, the freshman he just signed. So they ain't got one. And it sounds like the plan, according to uh, Brody Miller of The Athletic, we're going to play receiver John Trey Kirkland, who in high school played quarterback. He was a very successful high school quarterback. He's been a receiver his entire time at LSU. Maybe they, uh, you know, Look for them to take a page out of South Carolina's book and have to carry on Joyner out there running a ton of Wildcat and just see what happens. But, man, this is going to be a crazy, crazy game. LSU down to 39 scholarship players, according to Brody Miller. And, of course, uh, you know, it's the interim coach. Brad Davis is, is the coach here, the offensive line coach. We're down to two running backs, freshman Corey Kiner and sophomore Josh Williams. We're down to one starter in the secondary, Jay Ward. This will be a wild game. And Kansas State, on the flip side, they fired their offensive coordinator right after the season. So, key to this game, aside from uh, LSU finding bodies that are willing to suit up and play in this football game, stopping Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State running back, outstanding running back, 1,246 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns on the season. LSU, excuse me, Kansas State, they don't have much of a quarterback. Skylar Thompson, nine passing touchdowns, four interceptions. So you got to think uh, this over-under, I understand it being so low with uh, LSU having so many issues on the offensive side of the ball. Kansas State favored by a touchdown. It's all going to come down to stopping this running back, Vaughn, for the LSU Tigers. And here's a key stat, because I know LSU was not great on defense all season long. In fact, in October, dreadful. Allowing 224 rushing yards in the month of October. That is piss poor. That's one of the worst in the country. Yet you turn around in November, last four games of the season, LSU averaged 79 rushing yards allowed per game. And you may say, well, hell, would they play a bunch of cupcakes? Alabama. How's that sound as a cupcake? Arkansas. Best Arkansas team maybe in 10 years. ULM, I'll give you that one. Cupcake. Texas A&M, those are their four games they pay, played in November, allowed only 79 rushing yards to those teams. I know LSU's down some guys, but if they could corral this Vaughn, I think they can win this football game, pull off a stunner. And I'm going to Honda Morristown special, man. I'm not picking against the SEC in the last non-conference matchup of the season. LSU 21, Kansas State 20, the Tigers 
pull off the upset. There's still some veteran veteran leadership on this team. Uh, I'm not about to go and count out the Tigers in the Texas Bowl. A lot of Texas players on this roster too. So there's going to be some pride on the line. Get the hell out of here with Kansas State. Uh, this, this should be a wild, wild game, but I'm taking the Tigers to win by one. All right, so hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. So that's all I got on this episode. And if you made it this far, as always, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and we'll mail you a beer koozie free of charge. We got all 14 SEC teams represented. Just send those on over to that secpodcast at gmail.com. That, that email is also in the show notes. If uh, you're like me, you can't write things down quick enough when you hear them uh, over the radio. But uh, we're also, we've been on Spotify, but now you can rate the podcast on Spotify. If you give us a five-star on Spotify, same deal. We'll mail you a beer koozie free of charge. Just again, reach out to us at that secpodcast at gmail.com. But that's going to do it. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out this solo pod. We'll catch y'all on the next one.